Welcome to the Ghostly Gallery, where we explore the genre of horror in film, literature, and popular culture. My name is Bruce Markison, and I'm one of your two co-hosts for the Ghostly Gallery, joined by Tracy Asteria. We're glad that you could join us today for some vampire conversation related to a couple of films, interesting films, unusual films, but also important films that came out in the early 1970s. Our guest coming up, a gentleman named Brian Forrest. We'll tell you more about him in a moment. But first, let me welcome Tracy Asteria to the microphone. Tracy, how have you been? I've been doing great. How are you, Bruce? It's been a hot summer, but uh, we have an air conditioner now installed in our house, which helps greatly. Much appreciative for that. Oh, my goodness. I know the humidity factor here in Nova Scotia has been overwhelming this week. And I'm in Cooperstown, New York, so I'm in the Northeast, and it's been pretty hot and humid here, although certainly not as bad as it has been out West. Well, an interesting milestone is coming up for the genre of horror. August 2023 marks the 50th anniversary of the film Scream, Blackula Scream. It's the sequel to the 1972 movie Blackula. And with us is an expert on these films and really the entire vampire culture within movies. He is a writer and historian. He is best known by the pseudonym of Toothpickings. We'll have to get into that a bit later on, but his real name is Brian Forrest. We welcome him to the Ghostly Gallery podcast. Brian, welcome. How are you? I am doing great. Thank you. And I am uh, sorry for all of the bricks that are going to get thrown through your window by actual historians who take umbrage to me being called an historian. But you know what? I'm, I'm happy to be compared to them, people who are doing really amazing work in this field. Well, in my mind, there's little doubt that you're a historian based on some of the articles, some of the work that you've put together. Brian, let's begin with the name of the film, Blackula, the original film from 1972. And when you say that word Blackula, whether you were referring to the film or the character itself, inevitably, people react with laughter, derision. Why do you think that's the case? Well, you're absolutely right. If you bring that film up, people assume that it is campy, that it's a comedy, uh, that it, or on the other hand, that maybe it's a film that takes itself way too seriously and failed at that. And that reveals that they haven't actually seen the film because the title itself is silly. I mean, let's just get that out in the open. It's a silly title, but it is a memorable title. People who've never seen the film, not even a single image from it, are aware that there was a movie made sometime in the past called Blackula, and it had a black vampire. And that is, that is steeped into our culture now, uh, maybe almost as much as Dracula is. Certainly lots of other vampire films have come and gone, that did much better financially that are not remembered in our culture the way the name and the image of Blackula is. You know, I see and, what you're saying. It, I, 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 let, me, let me tag on to that. Um, sure. Something a lot of people don't know is that the film may never have been made if it had not been for that title. The producer, hmm. Joe Narr, who originally optioned the script, said he did so because he just was blown away by the title. He didn't know anything about vampires or horror films, but he saw that title and said, I have got to have this movie made. 
So oh we might not have the film at all had it not been for that title. Oh my goodness. Well, that's interesting. You know, you talk about that name and it is silly, but it's catchy. And if you think about it, if this movie had been titled The Black Dracula, probably would not have been as lasting mm -hmm. as it's become. Absolutely. You agree or disagree? I do agree. Uh, I do agree that the title really cemented a, an image or a, a, a narrative, right or wrong, into the cultural imagination. And I don't think it would have worked as well if they had called it Black Dracula or, you know, even something much more um, nuanced. If it said, you know, the, the deadly prince or <laughs> something like that, it, it, it would not have, it would not have uh, lasted the way it's lasted. Oh, my goodness. Uh, can you tell us about the first time that you actually saw this movie? What were your original reactions or thoughts to it? I would love to tell you that I saw it so many years ago when it was a formative experience, but it wasn't. Um, I, I want to say I came across it because somebody turned me on to the fact that it was the I, hmm. I think I, I went in thinking it was the first black vampire and I was, uh, and still am very interested in first milestones when it comes to vampire fiction and vampire folklore. And so mm -hmm. I was drawn to this first black vampire. And along the way, I learned that it was the first in a lot more ways than just one. Uh, it broke a lot more ground than I think it's given credit for. And right. I hope someday uh, we'll be able to look back on Blackula and appreciate what it did for the genre of both horror and for the subgenre of vampire films. Oh, wow. That sounds fascinating. Brian, when you look at the qualities of the film, really both the original film and the sequel, what are the qualities that make these good, that make them entertaining, that make them valuable in a sense? Well, it's certainly not the production value because they are <laughs> cheap films. Um, no one should go in expecting these films to look as good as something shot today. Um, with a big budget or even a lot of smaller budget film shot today. The technology just wasn't there. Uh, the filmmakers were kind of working against a reality. And I think that the films are as good as they are, despite everything they were working against, is really a testament to the creative teams behind these movies. Um, I think I lost the thread on your original question. Uh, what You were asking me what makes them stand out? Yeah, what makes them good? What are what are the the, the qualities? Is it the acting, the storyline, willingness to kind of go out and allege? What are those qualities? I think that the performances is really what draws us in. Uh, it's not the end all be all of the films, but were it not for the performances of especially William Marshall, I don't think we'd be talking about these films today. Uh, he is magnificent as Prince Mama Walde. And the supporting cast around him is great as well. Um, there, there's very few weak links in the cast. Once you start digging in past those original performances, then you can start to appreciate a lot more about what was being done with these movies. And the both the mirror they were holding up to the time and the aspirations that they were after 
as they were trying to make them. But for sure, the thing that draws us to these films that makes these films initially stand out are those performances. I guess that helps the movies overachieve because even if you don't have a lot of money, you don't have great production values behind the film. If the performances are good, that always, at least in part, makes up for any shortcomings. Yeah, I think there's something to be said for that. Um, when you have a, a Shakespearean like William Marshall delivering with his rich baritone, and especially when he's getting really passionate in moments, uh, there's there's no uh, amount of uh, shortage of lighting or cheap sets that can take that away. Yeah. He really was a phenomenally good actor, and I'm sure he was held back by the racism of the time, particularly in the 1960s and 70s. It probably limited the roles that he could get. In some ways, he's perhaps uh, above the role, although he certainly took it seriously and, and made the most of it. But this guy was really good. Yeah, and he had just come off playing Othello when he was put into Blackula. Uh, I want to say that it may have been the right before Blackula. Hmm. And he uh, had reviews calling him um, the best Othello in a generation. You know, He obviously was very good on stage. He had some good film credits too, you know, never a starring role that I'm aware of before mm -hmm. Blackula. Uh, maybe someone will correct me on that. I don't think he had a starring role in anything before this. Uh, mm. It really pushed him to the forefront of people's uh, knowledge of who he was in his place in his place in you know, the overall spectrum of American talent. Yeah. Brian, I want to ask you about a theme that we've always heard about with regard to the making of the movie. And I want to just check with you to make sure it's, it's accurate. It's true. Is it accurate that the original script was far more comedic, far more campy and that William Marshall basically insisted on giving this movie a more dignified tone? I want to answer this carefully uh, because there is a lot written out there that suggests that. Um, it is not accurate, though. Hmm. Um, and I have to do a mea culpa here, because when I first started getting interested in Blackula, and I would write about Blackula, this seemed like a no-brainer. Everyone said it, so of course it must be true. Um, why look into it anymore? But as I've dug down and learned more, and I this is an ongoing process, I'm still learning more about Blackula every day, that claim happens to be false. It was from its beginning, a image of a dignified vampire from Africa who came to the United States. Uh, a lot of changes happened to the script, but that was always part of it. Uh, there was never a version of the script that was, um, that was you know, as, as William Crane says, a shuffle and jive. That wasn't in hmm. that, those early scripts, and it wasn't into the final script either. Um, there were changes, obviously, uh, but even if you see the very first draft, you'll recognize that, oh, no, this was, from its very beginning, a Byronic vampire who was taken very seriously, uh, even though he was kind of brought into this insane world that is totally unfamiliar to him. 
it was sort of a fish out of water story, but not a comedy version of it, a much more serious version of it from the very beginning. So really the director, William Crane, he deserves credit for giving this film a little bit of gravitas, if you will. I give William Crane a lot of credit. Absolutely. Um, you know, and the writers deserve credit too. Um, Joan Torres and Raymond Koenig, Koenig excuse me, uh, they brought this script on their own. This was not a, uh, as I thought at one time when I first started getting arrested, I assumed this was something the studio drove. But no, mm -hmm. this was a spec script that they wrote. And they had a vision of a horror film that had a, the words they would use would be a positive portrayal of African Americans at the time. Mm -hmm. um, William Marshall brought his own gravitas in the performance, but William Crane had to be the one to kind of train the lens on it and know how to coax that performance. And they had a lot of discussions early on about how to do this, how, how big to go, how small to go. And if you've seen some of William Marshall's other performances, you know, he's always going to have that rich baritone, but sometimes he plays it differently. Mm -hmm. um, he doesn't always play it. Um, I know I keep coming back to the word Shakespearean, and that may or may not be the right descriptor for how he did Mama Walde, but he did bring that sort of heaviness to the role that he left out in some of his other roles, where he played it a little more casual, you know? So, yeah, I, I, I would, I think the entire creative team deserves credit. Um, the writers, the director, the performers. I'll, I'll even go Ryan, one further. No, no one ever likes yeah. to give producers credit, but I think you got to give the, pro <laughs> the producers and the producing team credit for trusting those instincts from their talent um, and not coming back and crushing that and being like, no, we need a black exploitation film and you're yeah. trying to do something serious. And there was pressure. Um, my understanding is that the studio did have uh, notes like, you know, we need to make this a little more street. We need to make this uh, a little more black. And, you know, you, with any project like that, you, you take some of the notes and you dismiss some of them and you see where you can find the compromise. But the team did resist going all the way to a full tilt to something that was, we would, we would associate with being sort of the more negative spectrum of black exploitation cinema. Right. You referred to the studio. It's American International Pictures. Mm -hmm. uh, they made some good movies. They made some films that really overachieved. They also made a lot of subbar stuff in the late 60s and early 70s. Um, so it, I guess in some ways, this is probably one of their better efforts. I think so. Um, before Blackula, I think the film they were best remembered for would be one of the Beach Blanket Bingo films. <laughs> So oh. you, you can really see the range that they they had. Um, they had gotten into some horror, kind of some cheaper horror um, before this. And that, I, nothing I would call prestige horror, yeah. but you know it was not unfamiliar territory to them. You mentioned the director, William Crane, who has somewhat been overshadowed in this story. And you've talked to him about the film. How does he view it? What does he think about it all these years later? Oh, I, I think he has nothing but pride in it. Um, I think he's very proud of what they put together. Uh, I think he would like to have done some more horror films after this. Uh, he only had one other horror feature after Blackula, but I think he's very happy with what he was able to output during that time. 
What was the I other actually, horror film that he did? It was called Dr. Black and Mr. Hyde. Um, <laughs> you can guess what that is a, uh, 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 I don't want to say parody. It's not a parody. It's a, uh, an homage. You can guess what yeah. the classic tale that is an homage to. Right. I haven't seen that one. I've, I've read about it. Doesn't sound great to me, but um, I'll have to reserve total judgment because, again, I haven't seen it. I assume you've seen it? I have. And what you'll notice is there are some parallels. Uh, his leading man in that film was Bernie Casey. And Bernie Casey also gives a serious performance. He's not doing a cartoon version. There are characters in the film that are, you know, a little more cartoonish, but yeah. not Bernie Casey, not the doctor. Um, there's also a few strange parallels, uh, both in Blackula and in Dr. Black, Mr. Hyde, there is a change to the person's face. Um, they change the way they look when they are in their more monstrous form. Um, hmm. I think it's notable. Blackula is one of the few vampires, at least in this early era, where the face Come, becomes completely different, becomes monstrous. Right. Uh, most vampires traditionally looked just like people. And that was kind of one of their superpowers is that you didn't know you were in the presence of a vampire until it was too late. They went a different way with Blackula. They made him uh, kind of go into this rage mode early on. And that's not something you see again, really, until the time when CGI becomes a little cheaper and you can kind of have vampires look demonic when they are going into their bloodlust phase as we've seen more yeah. recently. Right. I have to talk about Bernie Casey for a moment because I thought he was a tremendous character actor. He's best remembered for playing UN Jefferson comedic role in Revenge of the Nerds and he's terrific in that. Uh, he was a former NFL player in the 1960s, made a really good transition to Hollywood uh, and assembled a, a, a terrific career died just a few years ago, but really a, a phenomenally good actor. So I'm, I'm glad you mentioned him. Tracy, I think I cut you off. I think you wanted to ask a question. Um, I was I was just going to mention too, um, I did notice about the transformation. I actually watched Blackula this morning for the very first time. And so when you were talking, talking about like the visual change when he became into that mode where he was going into the monster mode, I, I did notice that. I, and I just wanted to mention, I, I was really impressed by the initial beginning of the film. I, I thought it was an excellent way for that movie to have started to kind of get a really good background on on the story of Blackula. So I, I just wanted to mention that. And it, it was interesting as a horror fan, it's a movie that I, I feel that every true horror fan should have in their collection to watch at least once. And and today was my first time watching it. So I was really quite impressed by it. So thank you. Sure. I like that intro as well. It, it establishes that Dracula is a real character in this story, a minor character, mm -hmm. but still a very real character. They exist in the same universe. And it sets up the entire a uh, reason that Mama Walde becomes a vampire is because he was on this noble quest. And guess what happened? Um, he got he he got treated the same way as countless others got treated. He was, you know, his freedom was taken away. He was put in a box, and then he was sent across the Atlantic like so many others. At I, I was about to say before him, but at the same time as him. No, exactly. 
he was trying to bring an end to the slave trade, right? So he, for whatever yes. reason, approaches Dracula about doing this, but it doesn't go so well. Yeah, I think we're to understand that he's seen all the crowned heads of Europe uh, appealing to them for some help. And uh, of course, one of those would be Count Dracula. Otherwise, the story doesn't work very well. Uh, so we don't get to see any of those other appeals, but I think we can assume those happen. In fact, in an early version of the script, you get to see him uh, being given this task by his father, who would have been the king of whatever uh, land they came from. And, it, mm -hmm. and it's very explicit that this is, this is your mission. We have to end this thing that is destroying our land and our people. Uh, unfortunately, that didn't make it into the film. Probably, probably very reasonable budget concerns would not allow mm -hmm. for that. I don't. I you wish know, I, I could tell you where they shot that castle scene. Um, it was somewhere in the Hollywood Hills. They found a house, and hmm. I wish I could figure out which it was. If anyone is listening to your podcast and can tell <laughs> me that actual location, I would love to document that. Oh my goodness! It it was a, a very beautiful atmosphere. I would love to know that as well, actually. You know, I think Brian Tracy's question brings us into the issue of race, which does need to be discussed with this film. And it, it's something that you've written about and you feel is certainly an important issue as well. The film is set in Los Angeles in the early 1970s, but it's set in uh, the Watts neighborhood, which had had a number of race riots in the late 1960s, a relatively poor uh, neighborhood, poor area of uh, greater Los Angeles. When you talk about the issue of race with the presentation of this film, what specific issue do you think Crane is maybe trying to push across here? What, what, what statement is he trying to make? That's a good question. Um, I would say that, first of all, I think the writers were making the statement more than Crane was. Okay. more than even Marshall was. And I, I think even accidentally, the studio ended up helping make that statement, um, probably not intentionally. Um, let me see if I can give this a uh, the best summary I can. Uh, I believe the writers were very attuned to the difficulties of the civil rights era that were, if, if you mark the civil rights era as being 60s into the early 70s, then they were very much mixed up in that. Um, they saw that there was wide distrust of white authority figures and that there was at the same time a bit of suspicion about uh, an Afrocentrism. There was sort of this push-pull between African-American centrism and Afrocentrism. And this isn't something that I was ever really aware of before encountering Blackula, because uh, it had just not been my area of study. And it's, it's a fascinating thing to learn that there was this sort of push-pull between these two poles. And you see it very clearly in Blackula, where you have uh, the sort of regal African prince, who is sort of this embodiment of uh, virile manhood and uh, a romantic atmosphere and uh, the, all the possible things that one could ever want to be. I, I can't remember exactly how Luva says it, 
and that uh, opening scene, but something about he embodies all the spirits and dreams of our people, something along those lines. And then you contrast him with someone like his uh, American counterparts later on in the film, like uh, Thalmas Rasulullah, who is also a hero. He's not an anti-hero who turns into a monster at night. He is essentially the Van Helsing of this film. Now, he is not an Afrocentrist. He would be African-American centrist. And yet he is also a classy dresser. He's also handsome. He also gets the girl. Hmm. And there, there's kind of, you can imagine that early on there was probably uh, equal weight given to both of them. But uh, once you have William Marshall in the role, it's sort of like casting Marlon Brando in Streetcar Named Desire. Now, now Marlon Brando is the one everyone's paying attention to instead of uh, all characters having equal weight. Um, I, I mentioned the studio a second ago. Um, when I was talking to Joan Torres, one of the writers, I asked her about uh, a black vampire coming to Los Angeles and beating the crap out of white police officers. And I said, this had to be, be part of your intent. And she said, actually, no, that was a studio note. Hmm. The studio said, we think the audience wants to see white cops getting beat up. So add in a lot of that. And I agree. I think the studio was right. I think it was essential, especially having this story set in Watts so soon after those riots, which were still looming in the public imagination. They had not been forgotten about. There were still uh, court trials going on uh, regarding Watts as late as the uh, the same year that Blackula came out. So yeah, uh, there was still a lot of animosity and to have your black antihero just pulverized these cops on behalf of the community that had to have been uh, had to have been cathartic for the audience no it's interesting i would not have thought that would have come from the studio that's really fascinating no i would not have either i i would assure that was something that either crane had added or the writers had added so i was surprised that that was a studio note but you know what once in a while studios they give the right notes <laughs> Brian, as you point out in a wonderful article that you did for the Dracula Beyond Stoker magazine that our prior guest Tucker Christine pushed out, uh, the original Blackula film is notable for several milestones that you have researched. It's really the first film in which a black vampire is depicted. It's also the first uh, to show us a black vampire hunter. And here's something kind of interesting, too, that maybe a lot of people did not notice. I did not notice until I read it in your article. This is the first film in which a male vampire is seen biting a male victim. Mm -hmm. Is this surprising to you in retrospect that it took until 1972 for this to happen? We're so used to seeing it now, it probably is less striking unless you rewind and realize that uh, prior vampires, prior Draculas would only bite women on screen. I, I am understanding there were a couple times where a, a vampire would, a male vampire would bite a male off screen, but you wouldn't see it. Uh, hmm. In fact, uh, John Edgar Browning uh, says there is a studio note from Carl Lamley Jr. where he says, Dracula bites women, not men. And that was very much the the idiom was that vampires could fight men, but wouldn't bite them because it was, it was considered, 
I don't want to read into what it was considered, but it was probably because mm -hmm. it was thought of being way too sexual and we can't be showing that on screen. But clearly in Blackula, when uh, a vampire, a, black, a, a male vampire bites a man, you could read it as being sexual, absolutely, but it also doesn't have to be erotic. It could just be a monster moment. And I think it is notable that it broke down that wall, among others. I want to go back to something, if I can, Bruce. Um, sure. I did say that Blackula was the first black vampire and I on screen. And I believed that at the time I wrote that article. Since it came out, uh, a friend of mine named Simon Bacon, who has written uh, and edited a whole lot of books on vampires, did turn me on to a French film that I was previously unaware of that does have a black vampire in it from the 1960s. Um, it, most Americans would not have seen it. Um, I, even to this day, most people have not seen it. But there might be someone else who beat us to the first black vampire on screen, even though I went in believing it and up until pretty recently still believed that Blackula featured our first black vampire. Hmm. Now, oh, in that film, I don't know if you've seen it, but in that film, is the black vampire like the lead, the main character? No, or is that just I, a... no, I would no, I wouldn't say so. Um, a, an important supporting character. Okay, but definitely, this would be the first American film oh, where we absolutely. saw the depiction of an America uh, of a black vampire. Uh, and in, as far as most people, Mama know, it, as far as most people know, it is the first black vampire uh, because it just wasn't seen that French film by yeah. people outside of uh, that particular area. And on that note, it, it was also, at the time it came out, it got a lot of press as being the first black horror film. And if you Google it, you'll still get a lot of hits that still say it is the first black horror film. Although there was a film in the 40s that had an all black cast and a black screenwriter that was, you know, in the horror genre. I wouldn't call it horrific. But it was, it did hew to the genre. So there, it, it doesn't even quite qualify as the first horror film, uh, black horror film, as much as I would like it to be. Um, but it is certainly the first one that most Americans are going to be aware of. And I think in good faith, a lot of people believed they were making the first black horror film at the time. That really becomes hard to define, though. Uh, certainly... William Marshall was not the first black actor to be a lead in a horror film, Night of the Living Dead, only four years earlier. Uh, we definitely uh, saw the, the black protagonist played there uh, and played uh, wonderfully by uh, now deceased actor Dwayne Jones, highly underrated, had a, a good career, uh, although he didn't make, didn't make a lot of films, but really did a lot in, in teaching acting. It was a, mm -hmm. He was a college professor, and uh, he's that. great in Night of the Living Dead. I, I don't know how you define, uh, though, a black horror film. Is, does that mean that the majority of the cast is black? Um, that's, that really becomes tricky, doesn't it? Yeah, I've wrestled with that as well. Like, if, uh, if Son of Ngagi has a white director, is it a black horror film? Yeah. I mean, that's, a, that's a good question. Where, what is the quantity? Do you have to have a, a certain percentage of people identifying as black in order for it to be a black horror film? Or is it just uh, enough to have a majority of the cast? I don't know. Uh, that's, a, that's a question probably left to a smarter film scholar than me. <laughs>
This brings us into the issue of black exploitation. There's been a debate and it continues about whether black blackula is part of this black exploitation craze that occurred in the early 1970s. So two part question, how would you define black exploitation? And then given that, do you think blackula fits into the category? Well, this is the moment that everybody's been waiting for. I know, uh, let's, uh, time for a white man to define black exploitation. So let's go. Um, <laughs> I think that I would define black exploitation as, you know, 60 or 70 films that were made, uh, late sixties, early seventies, cheaply with a predominantly black cast in order to draw in a black audience. And in so doing, would have empowered black characters, not necessarily positive role models, uh, though sometimes, but always empowered, um, mm -hmm. always uh, centered in the film, and usually surrounded by a mostly black supporting cast. Uh, to the second part of your question, that, that's, that's how I regard black exploitation, um, and I'm sure there's a more nuanced definition out there. The second part of your question, uh, is Blackula a part of that? That is a tougher question to answer because um, it definitely has a mostly black cast. It has an empowered protagonist um, and an empowered antagonist, if, depending on where you want to put William Marshall. Is he the protagonist or the antagonist of the story? Um, I know William Crane himself would not regard this as being part of the black exploitation genre. He, he kind of flinches at that word. But what I think is a, a comfortable place to be is to say that Blackula would not have been made were it not for the black exploitation genre being in ascendancy at the time. Mm -hmm. It was only because of black exploitation that Blackula got made, whether or not it's a part of the genre. Uh, the I think that's a very... That yeah, the studio saw the success of films that we would definitely place as being black exploitation, and said, "We need to capitalize on this. We need to get into this market," and thus Blackula came to be. Yeah, look, I think your answers are very reasonable. Makes a lot of sense to me. The only thing that I would add, I've heard some people when they talk about black exploitation films, they'll criticize them and say, "Well, they often they show some black characters, at least some within the film." in maybe a stereotypical way mm -hmm. that we would probably look back at today and, you know, not really agree with that. In, in looking at this film though, I don't know that Crane or the writers really depict any characters like that. No, uh, certainly William Marshall is, is, is not creating or depicting Blackula in such a way. We don't see a lot of that racial stereotyping. Am I wrong or right? What do you think? No, you're, you're absolutely right. And, and that is why uh, William Crane really bristles at being associated with the black exploitation because he, he sees that genre as being full of, like you said, stereotypes. And to be fair, there is some of that going on in that genre. I would not say that every film in the genre qualifies as that. I used the, the phrase a minute ago, uh, positive role model. That was the wrong, uh, that was the wrong word choice. Um, some of the uh, black exploitation films had uh, positive portrayals and a lot of them had negative portrayals. Um, mm -hmm. I should have used the word portrayal instead of role model. But um, to get me back on track here, 
you are right that Blackula does not have any of that. Even Big Skillet, who's kind of a comic relief character, is not a cartoon. Mm-hmm. He, he's 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 comical. He's a little silly, but he's not a, he's not cartoonish. He's still a serious character um, that you could believe exists. And in that light, you have to ask: Does Blackula qualify? Well, I think that what I said in a presentation last year was. If you like black exploitation cinema and you like Blackula, then you will say Blackula is a black exploitation film. If you hate black exploitation cinema and you like Blackula, then no, Blackula is not a black exploitation film. I think it really falls on how a viewer perceives the rest of that genre. Do they like it or do they not like it? Yeah. And that will inform where you think Blackula falls. I think you've, you've actually summed that up really well. So thank you for that, Brian. I hope so. I agree. Uh, I, yeah. I know that uh, me being a white middle class guy probably is not the best person to define black exploitation or where Blackula falls, but I can tell you what people close to that film have said, including William Crane, and he personally mm-hmm. does not think it is. Some others who are close to it might have a different uh, might have a, a different assertion of where the film falls. No, I think you're right on. I think William Crane is on as well. Um, in my mind, the sequel, which came out 50 years ago, August of 1973, is actually an even better film. And I think you may not agree on this, and that's and that's fine. We love to have disagreement. Scream Back, Blackula Scream has a different director, the late Bob Kelgen. He's the guy who did the Count Yorga movies. Uh, it has better production values, more brand name actors. It has a slicker presentation. So based on those qualities, I think it's a better movie than the original Blackula. I think you don't agree. Explain, if you would. That's correct. I don't agree. Uh, I think that Scream Blackula Scream will fool you on a first watch because it does look better. It does sound better. You've got Pam Greer. I mean, there's so much going for it that feels like a better production. The performances are great. I think William Marshall is um, even more comfortable in the character in the sequel than he was in the first one. But something felt like it got lost in that second one that I think it was so close, but still missed the mark. Um, And chief among those uh, is the fact that if we if we steep ourselves in the canon that the first film establishes, Mama Waldi is going to try to end the slave trade. By the time the sequel rolls around, he's become a slave master. Now, we could view this as a uh, the exploited become the exploiter, the cycle of violence continues. Or we could look at it in a a less generous way, which I do, which is that the filmmakers maybe just weren't thinking about what this message was. They say, we want to tell a monster story and we don't care if our character who's had all this sympathy going for him in the beginning now becomes a a, a horrible slaver. Mm -hmm. Um, That bothered me. There was littler things that kind of bumped me a little bit too. There's, you might remember there's a whole scene where um, he gives a long speech about you've, uh, you've enslaved your sisters and he throws a few pimps through a window. 
that felt like black exploitation to me. Hmm. That felt like at that moment, I was like, oh, we're in a black exploitation film now. Um, yeah. Never mind the fact that he's he's lecturing someone about enslavement when he's going around creating vampire slaves left and right. So is the film even aware of itself at that point? Um, it gives us no indication that Mama Waldi is taking a self-assessment and being like, hey, what have I become? What am I doing? I don't see that happening in Scream Blackula Scream, and that bothers me. Um, it's a, certainly an easier film to watch because, you know, the microphones are placed better. The lights are placed better. <laughs> I wish that Blackula had had the budget that Scream Blackula Scream had. But unfortunately, uh, you, 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 once the film is made, you've got what you got in the can. Yeah. Pam Greer has a, a pretty important role in the film, as you mentioned, and she's very good. Michael Conrad is in about three or four scenes. He's a, a local police investigator. He is, of course, best remembered for playing Sergeant Esterhouse on Hill Street Blues. He was a beloved character. Uh, sadly, he actually died during the run of that TV series. Uh, even though he's a policeman in Scream Blackula Scream, it's it's nothing like his character in Hill Street Blues, but he was a very competent character actor. He was also in The Longest Yard. Um, I don't know that in this film he's necessarily a good guy or a bad guy. He's, I guess, fairly down the middle, would you say? Help me out. He's He is the police captain? Yeah, he's the police captain. Okay. I, I was a little and fuzzy. He, on he's only in about three or four scenes. He's not a huge character. Right, um, okay. I'm, I don't I'm, get the I'm, sense I'm he's a now. racist policeman or anything like that. I don't think that comes through. No, uh, for there's there's a little bit of uh, a few moments in there where you can see a little bit of racism creeping through, but I don't think that comes from him. I think that comes from some other cops here and there. Okay. There's a I remember there's a scene where the guy says uh, something something I'll lock your uppity black ass up, and the mama Waldi grabs him and throws him through a screen to uh, teach him a lesson. But I don't think, no, I don't think our, our leading characters, our leading, uh, what am I trying to say, that our leading police officers were doing that. Yeah, that's, that was actually a, a black police officer uh, who's a uniformed police officer that says that to um, whoever he's pushing through the screen. Is it? Because I've watched that scene yeah. a few times, and I had that question. I said, is that is that officer supposed to be black or white? And yeah. I was never sure, and I eventually just said, "I just based on the context, I'm thinking this must be a white cop." But you're right; it, it's it was yeah. a little hard to tell. It's weird that they would have a black police officer say that. That didn't really ring true. So that that's a criticism there. So if you're assessing the two films, no question in your mind, Blackula number one, Scream Blackula Scream number two, correct. In terms of quality, for me. Uh, yes, uh, production quality can't argue. Scream Blackula Scream is better. Uh, just as a film, for me, Blackula is better. Brian, when we look at these two films in tandem, how important do you think they are in horror film history, especially in terms of maybe laying the groundwork for future horror films that have featured black actors and directors? I know in your article for Dracula Beyond Stoker, you made uh, mention of um, Jordan Peele, current director who's made some great films. He's obviously uh, uh, an African-American man. What do you think about 
these two films, 1972, 1973, how important were they in setting some building blocks for what might happen for black actors and directors down the line? Is there a connection we can draw there? I think they were incredibly important for setting that groundwork. Um, in the wake of Blackula, there were a whole lot of black dominated horror films that got made right around that same time within, you know, several years of Blackula coming out. It, it sort of proved that this was a subgenre, a sub subgenre that would work. Um, black audiences loved it. It was a crossover hit. White audiences liked it too. The studios realized, hey, we have some unmined potential here with black horror. That went away for a while afterwards, but it wasn't forgotten, especially within the community of black filmmakers. So when Jordan Peele and others not unlike him came along and said, hey, you know, we're still interested in horror and we're still interested in our communities being represented in horror movies, they were able to kind of draw on that inspiration, that groundwork that was laid by Blackula. And they realized that we don't have to make silly films. This doesn't have to be, um, you know, the, the black version of Freddy Krueger or anything like that. These can be serious horror films with a black cast that are not, you know, uh, parodies of themselves. And you would have to ask those directors and those filmmakers how, how clear the inspiration was if, if seeing Blackula as a young person was a formative experience for them or not. But I think in terms of laying the groundwork within the American cinema culture, I, I can't see any argument for it not being incredibly important. What's your opinion of some of the work that Jordan Peele has done? I, I love his first two films. I saw Get Out in the theater, thought it was fantastic. Uh, I saw the second film, and for some reason the title is escaping me. I saw that on television, thought that was really good. Uh, Twilight Zone was hit or miss, some good episodes, some that fell a little bit flat. But I, I think he's done some really good stuff. Your thoughts? I think he's amazing. Uh, one of the finest filmmakers alive today, I think. Um, and I say that knowing just that there are people who have a, a much deeper filmography than he does. But what he's shown so far, I mean, wow, what a talent. Um, if you're asking me, let's see, um, between us and Get Out, boy, that's such different films. Get Out hooked me in right from the start. Um, I loved everything about it. Us worked for me too. I was a little confused at the very end, but it must have worked because it stayed with me. And uh, I saw Nope more recently. I uh, just saw it this mm -hmm. past spring. And I thought it was a really inventive take on the Alien film. Um, it was not something I had seen before. A very different way to treat that sort of sci-fi horror that uh, I would not have seen coming. So he's definitely thinking in more dimensions than your average filmmaker. I have to confess, I never saw The Twilight Zone, so I'll have to take your word for that one. I understand. Well, he's a terrific, he he's has... a terrific writer and director, and he was mm -hmm. he was very funny as a comic. Uh, he did some great routines oh, yeah. on television. Uh, I mean, the guy's got pretty good range of talent, acting, mm -hmm. writing, and directing. I hope he's not afraid to go back to comedy someday. Uh, I hope he's not uh, trying to brand himself too much into horror that he won't 
consider doing some comedy because yeah, he, he really did have a lot of comic chops. Brian, staying with the issue of contemporary horror, there have been some rumblings about a possible Blackula remake. It's mm -hmm. been going on for a few years. I've heard nothing concrete. What do you know about that situation? Probably as much as you. When it first got announced, it was being talked about like a third installment. And more recently, I have read that it is now being considered a reboot, so retelling the entire story. Uh, how concrete is it? I don't know. It seems like you hear something and then you hear nothing for a really long time. Dion Taylor was attached to direct it. Uh, I haven't seen a lot of his work, but I did see Meet the Blacks, which was a horror comedy. Um, as, a, uh, as a tidbit, he does have a character in that film called Dr. Mama Walde. So clearly he's a fan of Blackula. Interesting. Um, if I had to guess, based on what I have seen before, the treatment they're going after is something campier. Um, and that's probably a decision made based on our very earliest question we had today, which was people hear the name Blackula and they think it's silly. And I think maybe that that's what they're capitalizing on. They're like, okay, everyone thinks it's silly. So if we're going to make Blackula, let's have it be silly a la... Oh, um, nothing's coming to my mind right now, but I'm sure there's been some kind of reboots. How about the Dark oh, Shadows movie? There you go. Very good. Um, exactly. <laughs> like the Dark Shadows movie. Which I hated, by the way. <laughs> I, you're not alone. I love the original show, but the movie, no. Yeah, so just like in Dark Shadows, mm -hmm. they took the uh, property that was well-known and made it a little silly, a little campy. I, I get the feeling that that's the direction they are going mm. if they come through with it. I don't know that for sure. I don't have any insider knowledge, but uh, the only insider knowledge I can tell you is that they have not consulted at all with the original writers or William Crane, the original director. Uh, they're totally in the dark on anything that's going wow. on. Oh, wow. How can so you do that? If how, how can they, how can they not talk to him about this? I don't get that. That's a great question. You would think that the very least as a consultant, bring William Crane on, bring Joan Torres in. Joan Torres created the character. Why not ask for her input on whatever kind of script you're working on? I don't know. I don't know. I, I think it would be a no brainer, but you know, uh, I don't work in the industry, so I don't know. Mm -hmm. So if they did happen to do a remake, whether it's a remake or a reboot, do you think they can basically pay proper respect or homage to the original? Or do you think um, it just it they sh should not do that whatsoever? Like, I'm just curious what your thoughts would be on that, because there's always so much debate on whether you know, a classic movie or a classic TV series should be remade mm -hmm. or rebooted. It's just, it's, it's all over the road. And I was just kind of curious what your thoughts would be on that. Well, it's sort of the curse of a remake, right? You're, you're always going to yeah. make somebody mad. I, I would right. like more people to watch Blackula. And if a good campy version came out and that led more people to watch the original, I guess that's a net gain. Right. Um, if it was me, and it is certainly not, but if it was up to me, I would make a more serious version. I would try to do something that sort of honored that original vision for Blackula, which was 
uh, a, not a silly vampire, but a very serious vampire, a serious Byronic vampire who uh, started with a really noble vision of what he could accomplish in the world. And things did not go the way he had hoped. And he becomes a tragic figure. And that's what I would like right. to see from Blackula. But uh, like I said, I'll take the comic version if it gets more people to follow that trail backwards to the original film. Right. Well, thank you. Brian, if there were a Blackula remake today, who among today's actors might be a good fit for that role? Oh, I was dreading this question. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think, okay, so um, I think you could go two ways. This is assuming you were doing a serious version, a serious treatment of Blackula. Um, you could either try to do something in the vein of what William Marshall already had, uh, which is going to be tough because it's, it's, it's trying to do Glengarry Glen Ross again on stage after you've seen Al Pacino do, uh, mm. do and, and Jack Lemmon and everybody else do that role on film. That's, that's a tough one to up the ante on, but perhaps someone like, uh, Reggae Jean Page, who uh, is best known as uh, the Prince in Bridgerton, or Terrence Howard, I thought would be really good at that sort of uh, serious version of Mama Walde. But I also think it'd be really interesting and maybe a better choice instead of having a Shakespearean to have someone who is African or at least can be a convincing African play that role. Um, after seeing Black Panther, uh, what Chadwick Boseman did with that role, like, wow, this is, this is regal. This is royal. This is how you do African royalty for an American audience. And it's, it's so unfortunate that he's gone from this world now because wh what a, an amazing Blackula Chadwick Boseman could have been. Who could do that role yeah. uh, now? I don't know. I. I I looked through some lists of, you know, the notable African actors of today, and there wasn't anyone who leaped out at me. Um, but I'm also not as steeped in that world as I'm sure some other cinephiles would be. Maybe there's someone else who comes up. What do you what do y'all think? Who do you think would be a good black yellow if you were recasting today? I have no idea. It's a tough question. That's why I asked you. <laughs> do you think do you think it, Denzel it, it, is too old for the role? Do you think he Yeah, be probably. Yeah, and, and he's generally seen, I mean, he's done some villainous roles, but I think he's generally seen as a more positive mm -hmm. actor, uh, positive portrayals. So I don't know if he would work that well. Uh, you need ideally somebody who's in their 40s or 50s. You need mm -hmm. somebody who's got, um, you know, a look, maybe like a William Marshall. I was thinking about it and no one leapt to mind. It's not, it's, it, it's a tough question. And I think you actually, in, in coming up with Terrence Howard, I think that's actually a lot better answer than anything I could have come up with. I think Howard yeah. might be a good spot for that. Terrence Howard is, he's such a good actor. And I don't know if he's found his career defining role yet. Maybe this would be the one for him. Yeah. Couple more questions for our guest, Brian Forrest, known as Toothpickings, before we let you go. Uh, tell us about this documentary that you're working on. It's not specifically about Blackula, but it is related to the director, uh, William Crane. Tell us about it, when you think it might come out. 
Oh, that's the worst question. Uh, <laughs> what I have been telling people is it will come out, quote, sometime. Uh, I've been working on it for a little while now. Um, unfortunately, the demands okay. of uh, having real jobs and real lives kind of get in the way. I think I have enough footage now. Um, after, mm. uh, after about a year of filming, I think I have everything I need. Now it's just a matter of getting it all into place. Uh, to give you a little more context, it is uh, a short documentary about William Crane. Um, in order to tell the William Crane story, there is no way to do that without confronting Blackula head on. So there is a lot about Blackula in it. But there's also a bit about his TV career. He had a, a very good TV career after Blackula. Um, and of course, his other film, Dr. Black, Mr. Hyde. So um, I wanted to get a, a full picture of the man I consider to be the first black horror film director um, mm. with an asterisk by it, because there, there was someone in the silent era who might qualify. But William Crane is certainly the first person uh, to direct a horror film who was himself African-American. Uh, and we still have that film with us. We can still look at it and, and ask him about it and get his own take on what it meant to him and what his intent was for what it to mean to an audience. And you've already interviewed him for the project? Yes. Yeah, a few times, actually. Uh, we oh, we still talk. We talk about once a week. Uh, great nice. guy. Um, getting up there in his years, but he's still he's still sharp. He yeah. still has a lot to say. And uh, I'm hoping oh, I'm hoping that he still has uh, the ability to see one more film into this world, uh, either as a mm. writer or as a director. He's got he's got some great ideas. He, if, you, if you talk to him long enough, you'll, you'll be like, yeah, man, this this needs to be on film, this thing you're talking about right now. And, and hopefully something will be. Now, it's great that you're you're documenting, documenting this while you have the opportunity to have those conversations and pull out those memories. It's that's that's an excellent thing that you're doing. Well, thank you very much. I, one of these days I would like to publish a full book about Blackula instead of writing articles. Um, that is that is a, a hard road to hoe. I, I've gotten pretty good at writing articles and essays. A full book is intimidating as hell. It's mm. almost as intimidating as taking on the topic of Blackula was for me initially. I put it off for years because I just didn't know how to get my arms around mm. this film. Like there, there was so much there. Where do you start? What's What's the narrative you you go down to try to talk about this film in an intelligible way? And and it wasn't easy because I just couldn't couldn't picture for myself where the starting point, where the entry point was to discuss a film like Blackula. And I finally found that, but now it's like starting all over again, trying to write all this down into one large book. But you know, stay tuned. Hopefully, that will come out in a few years. Yeah, and when the documentary is done, please let us know. We'll have you back on to talk to. about this. Yeah. Final question about the movie. What should horror fans today, or why should horror fans today, even younger ones who don't know much about these two films, why should they watch Blackula and Scream, Blackula, Scream? What is in it for them? I think context for the world we live in today. There is... If you've grown up on horror, 
today, you're not going to find a whole lot of moments that are shocking looking back at these older horror films. I think there's a couple moments that still stand up, but we live in a world with uh, jump scares around every corner and uh, CGI that can knock your socks off. You're not going to find that in these films. What you will find is a deeper appreciation of how we got here, uh, how we got from uh, a black and white horror film uh, in the 1930s to today. I think a lot of those roads lead through Black Yellow. And it might not be immediately evident that Blackula was pioneering, but if you watch the films before it and you watch the films after it, you will see a change. Well said. Uh, Brian, final question on a far lighter note. Why toothpickings? Where does that come from? <laughs> I've been curious to hear this. Oh, I wish I had a really smart answer for you. Um, you know, I, I wanted to do something that, that suggested fangs or, uh, or, or some sort of mastication because it was dealing with vampires. And then I thought, well, you know, a lot of this stuff, uh, initially what I was doing was like, oh, that's, a, that's an odd tidbit. That's a morsel. Um, this is not a, an entire uh, long digression, a long documentary, a long nonfiction book. It's just a little, a little thing, a little nugget. And so toothpickings occurred to me as being something that, oh, just a little something for your fangs, a little something to sort of whet the appetite, a toothpicking um, as opposed to a full meal. <laughs> Do you use a toothpick it. on a regular basis? <laughs> Only <laughs> when I get dried blood in my fangs. Yeah. <laughs> I have to throw in a baseball angle there. A lot of people know me because I work uh, in baseball at the Baseball Hall of Fame. I've written baseball books. There was a player in the 1980s, UL Washington. He was a shortstop for the Kansas City Royals. And he was famous for always having a toothpick in his mouth, always in the mm. field, on the bases at the plate. So I thought maybe you were one of those people that would regularly sport a toothpick, just like to chew on it. Maybe it was a nervous habit. Apparently that's not the case though. No, I think it, somehow there was an image in my head of um, picking little bits out of the fangs of a vampire's mouth and yeah. learning something from them. And that's a little bit gross. <laughs> so <laughs> vampires are gross if you get right down to it. <laughs> Well, it's a great nickname. You've done a nice job uh, reinventing yourself as uh, toothpickings. Thank you. Uh, best of luck with both the documentary and then down the line, the book project. Uh, this has been fascinating. You've offered us some great insights. Really appreciate your time over this last hour, Brian. Uh, thank you very much. Thanks, Bruce and Tracy. Yes, thank you, Brian. Thanks, Bruce and Tracy. Thank this you has so been much. Wonderful. Our guest, Toothpickings, better known in uh, some circles as Brian Forrest. That was his given name, is his given name. And he has been our guest for this past hour on the Ghostly Gallery. Uh, we thank Brian Forrest for being with us. We, of course, thank our co-host, Tracy Asteria, for joining us as always. Uh, for Tracy, I'm Bruce Markison. A reminder, please join us next time right here on the Ghostly Gallery podcast.